to A Legacy of Generosity, a podcast produced by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. You'll hear lessons learned, trends, and best practices from experienced gift planning professionals to help you succeed in increasing legacy gifts for your organization. We are grateful to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations. To learn more about the work they do, visit greaterminnesota.net. Now, here are your hosts. Hello. Welcome. Today, we're excited to introduce the topic of family giving traditions and tools. This is Marie Ruzek, one of your co-hosts, and I have with me Carl Newbanks. Hi, everybody. Happy to be here today. And we're excited to introduce our guest, Shannon Gahagan of the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. I thought of Shannon when we were thinking around this topic of giving traditions because she has a unique role at a community foundation working exclusively with donors, mostly families who are giving and has had the opportunity to see many different ways of incorporating giving into a family's giving traditions. So welcome, Shannon. And can you tell us a little bit more about your role? Thank you. Thanks for having me. My role is a philanthropic advisor. So like people have financial advisors and legal advisors, we are um, advisors in the area of philanthropy, in the area of giving, grant making, um, estate giving through the vehicle at the St. Paul Minnesota Foundation of donor advised funds. So like you said, Marie, I do work mostly with um, families, individuals and families, um, you know, two-person families, larger families, extended families, multi-generations, um, and then some uh, community groups and some uh, corporate groups as well. But, but like you said, families for the most part are individuals who are really looking at their own personal assets or assets that came through um, a family connection, how they want to impact organizations and people in the communities now and um, long into the future, hopefully as well. Great. Thanks for being here, Shannon. And we, we touched on um, donor advice funds and that's a specific giving tool amongst many charitable giving tools and we might just spend a little time discussing donor advised funds, their uses, flexibility, and the criticisms around donor advised funds um, as a tool before we dive into the family giving traditions conversation. So I'll maybe just start, start it off um, and acknowledge that there are a few vocal critics of donor advised funds in the United States um, the one that comes top of mind is Professor Ray Madoff from Boston College. And so if a donor uh, might Google donor advice funds, for example, they might come across some articles in major publications across the country. And many of them quote this one professor just generally um, having some public policy issues 
with regard to donor advised funds. I don't think that she's necessarily against donor advised funds as a whole, but just maybe around the edges, she's wanting to see some more regulation. And um, the counter argument to that, and there are other faculty members at other institutions, namely I can think of one at Stanford University that doesn't have any problems with the way that donor advised funds are currently being administered in the United States. And I would also say that most charities that do include donor advised funds as a giving tool are not really seeing the problems. Um, it's kind of a an argument in search of a problem, I guess I might describe it. Um, and, and that the main argument is that there could be problems, but we're not seeing that there really are. So with that as the backdrop, how are your organizations, both Carl, you and Shannon's organizations do use donor advised funds as giving tools to support the community and, um, offer flexibility to donors. Can you can you each share a little bit about how you work with donor advised funds and donors that are interested in utilizing those tools? Happy to go first. Sure, go ahead, Shannon. Go <laughs> um, ahead. So the St. Paul in Minnesota Foundation, you know, at our core, we're a community foundation and we are here to support the community and better the community and provide assistance and um, uh, you know positive positive assets into the community, you know, in many different ways. And for us, donor advised funds are a tool that can kind of spread the kind of joy of supporting our community through giving um, kind of with that uh, vehicle, so to speak. So we have no intention of letting money sit at the foundation and not go into the community. We know because we have not only our donor advised fund holder side through our philanthropic services, but we have community impact where that team works with the more kind of what old fashioned competitive grant making where nonprofits fill out grant proposals, submit them, they work with program officers. And I don't say old fashioned in a bad way, it's just kind of like the traditional way when you think about how do nonprofits get money from foundations, they write a grant, they submit it, it's reviewed and then it's approved. Um, and so they know and they remind us all the time of the needs that are in the community, what nonprofits have, um, you know, what they're looking for, what um, they can't fulfill with the grant making money that they have, the organizations that they wish we could grant to, but maybe don't fit in our guidelines. And so we're constantly having conversations with our community impact team to talk about what are the needs. And then one of the benefits of working with uh, community foundation in our situation with the donor advised fund is that the people I work with, I'm their connection and I can help encourage them and offer ideas if that's something that they're interested in and connect them to organizations that are doing work in areas that they're interested in doing work that um, they might not hear about because they don't get a solicitation in the mail from this organization. But we know through program officer conversations of things that there are current you know, needs right now. So, um, so that's, I kind of talked around the question yet, um, you know, what we've really found is that people that open a donor advised fund are looking to streamline their giving, 
and we're able to help them do that. We also are able to provide them with expertise in um, kind of, like I said, the grant making side, as well as expertise in complex assets, um, just gifting in general, estate gifts through um, their fund to support organizations far into the future. And so they like to work with us and use that tool to actually increase the amount of money that they can give into the community, not as a way to put money in an account and, you know, forget about it and and, and never look at it again. They're really um, trying to make a difference. And the one of the ways that we make sure that that happens is the St. Paul Minnesota Foundation. We actually talk to people every year. And if they haven't been making grants in a couple of years, we, we have a policy that people need to make grants every three years, or we have to have a documented reason um, that's based off of community um, uh, national foundation guidelines about, about what would be a reason why somebody might not be making a grant so that we can actually understand and name every single fund that we have, what their plans are, what they're doing, and um, how they are um, using the money that they have in our foundation and that they received a the ability to have a tax write-off for when they made the gift, um, you know, and that it's being used properly. Yeah, Shannon, and in fact, there is data collected by National Philanthropic Trust for anyone to go out and find themselves that shows the rate of grants that are recommended out of donor advised funds in the United States that are going out to help charity every year. And I think that that distribution rate is right around 20%, which is much, much higher than, say, the 5% distribution rate out of a private foundation. So some of the criticism is that donor advised funds are stockpiling dollars that are meant to charity. But when you look at the data, that does not seem to be the case. How about you, for the Initiative Foundation, Carl? You know, I would just, uh, well, I don't even know what I would what I would say. Shannon said it so well, and, and we fall almost, you know, under exactly the same uh, viewpoint from our end. You know, we want to provide a tool for donors to direct their their charitable giving and support them, uh, help them find, uh, you know, a good match if they need that, or, you know, just all the ways that we can support donors and and spread, uh, you know, donated dollars around the region. So, yeah, I would say we're we're the same. At our heart, we're a community foundation. We want to serve the community, serve the donors, and um, it's just in exactly the same way, Shannon, that you just described so well. So, yeah, I would say we're right in the same boat, trying to do the same good work. Yeah, the idea that uh, you know, people, a private family foundation was really, I think, the only way that people could move forward in sort of uh, an official uh, manner in the past. And the donor advised fund function serves for serves as a way for people who don't have the either the capacity or they don't want to have to hire somebody as a manager, and then they have to do all the tax work and the accounting and all of those different things. We do the behind the scenes sort of paperwork for all of that and allow them to focus on the grant making with us if that's what they want to do. And, and you know, that, that idea I've heard many times is that the 5% payout for private family foundations was really a, a suggestion, a guideline, and that's become more of a ceiling oftentimes. And so people 
grant out that 5% and then they're done. And, and for us, we don't, we don't, I don't, nobody has ever actually asked about that. It, I, I take that back. I have a, a handful of people that look at their fund and they think, well, if this, if this was an endowed fund, how much would we spend? And they're, but because they're trying to plan, um, it's almost like they're budgeting. They're budgeting their donor advised fund to accomplish what they want to accomplish and then also to accomplish things in the future, maybe with their family members as well. Sure. Yeah, yep, I've had those conversations too. And I'll just point out that donor advised fund is one way that people give. And those same those same donors might also be making cash contributions. They might be giving by credit card online. They might be making pledges for major gifts. And it's just a tool in the philanthropic toolkit that many donors find convenient from time to time, depending on their where they are in their philanthropic journey. I, I know that it comes up a lot um, when there are liquidity events or an inheritance. Um, a lot, a lot of baby boomers are selling their businesses now. And if they don't do a lot of pre-planning, meaning they don't talk to their philanthropic advisor in advance of the business sale, and they are not able to gift some of that private stock uh, in again in advance prior to the sale, prior to um, a written letter of agreement with a buyer to be able to gift that without having to pay the capital gains taxes on that stock. Um, unfortunately, 90% of the time I get the call after the sale has been made. My client sold a business. They have the highest income they will ever have in their entire life, and they're charitably inclined. What can we do? Right. right. And so they're not ready to choose all the charities for the next 40 years that they're going to give to because many of these folks, I said baby boomers, but many of the folks that are selling businesses are as young as in their 50s that I'm seeing. So donor advice fund buys them a little time and flexibility so that they can do that budgeting and planning and figure out where they want to make an impact with their charitable donations. One thing that Carl, you mentioned when we were preparing for this is that you get the question sometimes that do all donor advice fund holders do all their giving at the end of the year? Is that true? Shannon, like what, right what's now? your experience? Yeah. It's busy right now, that's for sure. It is a it's a tornado of activity, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, we we really do see an uptick in the fourth quarter. Um, so that is a, a true statement. Yet, surprisingly, different times during the year, um, like Marie said, people may have their own event happening in their life that is generating some additional income that they're or an asset that they're trying to figure out what they want to do with. Um, some people are planners, and I meet with them in the you know, in January, and we talk about what they're interested in doing for the full year, and they plan it out, and they get all their grants. They look at all the letters that they get, all the checks they wrote last year, and then they they talk about what are they going to write a check for, and what are they going to use their donor advised fund for, or what are they going to do, you know, how to plan that out. And so it really, um, we're happy when it happens throughout the year. And then, for example, with COVID, with other, you know, big issues, um, you know, 
murder of George Floyd, a lot of the things that have hurricanes, all kinds of things happen throughout a year and people will reach out to us and talk about um, how can they help. And so that also spurs a lot of activity for us. On the grant making side, the giving side, mm-hmm. people think about, you know, it gets cold here in Minnesota at end of the year kinds of things that that does make a big difference as far as uh, gifts coming in to their funds. Yeah, right. Sure. Despite our best efforts to encourage folks to plan ahead with their charitable giving fourth mm-hmm. quarter and the month of December, especially are still the busiest giving times of the year, every year. We so probably have all. Yeah, oh, a deadline. A deadline makes a difference, right? And <laughs> yeah, right. we've all sat there watching. I'm usually in the office because my family is all around here. On you know, I, there's one one person who will remain nameless and faceless who walks a check over almost every year at noon yeah. on the on last the 31st, day. Right. <laughs> I am not going to be at my office on December 31st, so they should not do that in my no. <laughs> when they're working with me. <laughs> no, and there's all these crazy things where they're, you know, it's basically the last two days of the year. And I said, well, you need to just send it via U.S. mail. It needs a yes. postmark date. Right. That will be the gift date. No, do not send it by FedEx. They think it's no, going to be better by nobody's FedEx. No, not, do nobody's not do that. Nobody's going to be there to get the FedEx. That no. is Old not in fashioned. the in case law. Yeah. Yes, you must send it by U.S. mail. Um, no, yes. a wire cannot, we will not guarantee that that will get there. So <laughs> it's a lot of me hand-holding everyone and just basically bossing them around and say, no, everything that you want to do is off the table. You've waited too long. (laughs) You have one option. Yes. You must send a check by the mail to, I'm sorry, you didn't plan ahead. No, it, it, I'm not, you, it sounds mean, but you have to get firm with them sometimes, or they think that there's wiggle Mm -hmm. room. Right. We We actually send out the calendar of deadlines too, to be helpful. Yes, I've received that. Thank you. I'm glad. glad. (laughs) I've saved it. Yes. Right. Well, it really, things are out of our control and we really want to be helpful. And um, so, yes. We're talking a lot about the end of the year, but what about other times of the year that might be times when families plan to either discuss their giving or to execute on their plans for their charitable giving. What have you seen, Shannon? We've done a number of events that were focused on family philanthropy, meaning younger families with kids that are in elementary school to middle school to introduce them to the world of philanthropy, that big word that it's hard to spell and what does it mean? But the idea of how can they be charitable or generous or um, support things that they care about? And so, you know, little kids are very, it's fantastic to kind of have those interactions and, and pose questions to kids and in, in a way and, and get some of their, get some of their feedback on, because they, they all are, are aware of um, generosity and feeling good when they do something nice for somebody else or when somebody does something nice for them. And so we try to break things down and there are a lot of great resources out there um, to share with families so that they don't have to recreate things and and kind of introduce it at different levels so that it's something that kids grow up with and it's not something that um, they're, they're totally afraid to talk about or, or um, 
unwilling to talk about. I sometimes get some questions from people that I'm working with. They think that their 20-year-old child is not ready, too young to have this conversation. What would you say to that, Shannon? I would say that I understand how they might feel that. And sometimes it's easier for me to have a conversation with people um, that can get to some really interesting information as a, as a non-family member. And I will offer to do that if that's something that a family is interested in. Uh, I, I'm sure you all, I, I, I assume that you both maybe have had the same experience. I talk to people and I feel sometimes that they share things with me about their past, about their well, their financial situation that they have maybe never shared with anyone else pretty quickly. And um, so I feel very honored that people are trusting me with that information. And so um, that experience, if they've had it, I think they're, they understand that maybe I can help broach some of that with, with their family members, with their 20-year-olds. And it's not going to get easier the longer that they wait to introduce them to what they do. So we really try to offer a lot of different options and kind of see if they jump on any of those things. Do they want to talk to their kids about, or do they want to find out what their kids are interested in? Do they want, you know, do they want their kids or, you know, family, quote unquote, family can be anyone that you care about. So um, do you want your loved ones to learn about where you give and why you give and make them little little molds of you, you know, because some people do, they want, they want to instill the values that they have, that they feel that they are sending off into the world through their giving. And they want that to be passed on. And that's really valid and important. And so we can work on that. And how does that play out? And then we can also hopefully work on how they can still share those same values and, and, um, and, uh, goals, morals, all the different things that they wrap up in their giving with their kids, if their kids or their family members, loved ones, if they, if they make different choices. And so um, that's really something that I try to help talk through and um, work through is that they can go in a different path with what they choose to do with their charitable assets. If they're going to be a successor advisor in a fund, if they're going to have the ability to recommend grants, um, I want them to feel comfortable about where the money is going, even if it isn't actually going to the exact same types of organizations that they, that they care about or that they've been giving to. So I try to, do, I do a lot of smoothing and, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, smoothing, I guess is, is the main thing to try to, mm -hmm. to try to understand really what somebody is looking, getting at. I'm trying to think like five steps ahead of them, what they're thinking about, what they're trying to say, and then figure out ways for me to be able to be a helpful resource to get everybody on the same page. And Shannon, so, uh, I mean, it just seems like even what you're talking about is, is such a great reason for someone to have a donor advised fund to have someone like you as a resource and a sounding board and, you know, and, and just someone to smooth, uh, you know, as needed is, is just, you know, it, it's so valuable and such a good service. And I think such a great, a great reason for folks to say, well, man, donor advice fund might be a great tool for us. We'll get all these other great supports and, and insights along with it, which is, which is really great for folks, I think. Yeah, I really wish that I was able to do that more in depth with the people that I work with. 
I think if they really were able to understand, because it's not something that you can, you can't, it's hard, it's a hard sound bite blurb to write in a brochure or to tell mm-hmm. people like, this is what we do until you actually have a chance to talk with them on the phone and they're in the right mindset and they're right. It's the right time in their life to sit down and think about it. it doesn't have to be scary. And, you know, we can just do little bits at a time and kind of build off on things to um, get them where they want to go. And I think back to what Marie said earlier, please, people call us ahead of time, you know, individuals mm-hmm. or financial planners or attorneys to say, what can you do? <laughs> what can we do? Because there's so many things that we can do that can really um, help increase the generosity that people are able to get out into the community. I hate seeing people leave money on the table and go somewhere that they don't necessarily want it to go when they really have some great nonprofits that could use the extra money as we know. Mm -hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Agreed. Shannon, one quick question. I I know um, we talked about this briefly too, as we were planning, but sometimes I think folks feel like they need to have a half a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars to to do a donor advice fund and, and what's your experience with good amounts to start a fund or it just, you know, your thoughts and experiences along those lines. So at the St. Paul and Minnesota foundation, our donor advised funds start at $25,000, which is a significant gift. Anyway, you look at it yet. That doesn't mean you need to keep that amount of money in there as we were talking, people grant money out. And so the the minimum balance to open is 25,000. And I work with a good amount of people that I think kind of like that book, The Millionaire Next Door, you would never know that they ever had a chunk of $25,000 at one time to put into a donor advised fund. It either came from, sometimes they receive something through a, a, a business, a, a bonus through work, um, a, a a gift that was left to them. I've had people sell gold coins. I mean, you know, all kinds of different ways to fund um, a donor advised fund with us and it goes up from there. So, um, so really it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a good amount of money yet. It is not something that is totally inaccessible. There are um, ways that uh, we'll have that out of the doubt. (laughs) <laughs> well, there, you know, there, there are, you know, I think, yes, $25,000 to open a donor advised fund, and then it can go on up from there. There are other organizations, I think, that have different donor advised fund offerings that are less than that to start um, and open a fund for us because of the additional support that you get through someone like me. You, Everyone has their own philanthropic advisor that is assigned to them who will help with um, as much or as little of that uh, uh, charitable support as you'd want yet. Um, I don't know. I think I'm losing my train of thought here. So that's not helpful. I think you're t- t- speaking with regard to fees and then kind of big national financial services firms that have donor advised funds where they get, you get an 800 number to call, not Shannon to right. call and point. to get to get personal with your family and help develop a plan over their lifetimes and it, you get what you pay for as with most th- most things in life. Yeah, right? I do I do think so. And I think you know the foundation has talked about 
what ways can we offer our expertise in all, you know, in, in a number of different areas to people in the community that is maybe more accessible, less than the $25,000 kind of opening price point for a donor advised fund. And so that's something that we really, you know, we are, we take mm-hmm. seriously because we don't want to be, you know, we've been seen as the kind of ivory tower. We're actually in the U.S. Bank white building downtown where we're, you know, sitting there, um, not understanding what really is happening in the community. And we want to be able to offer our services to a wide range of people. And so we do some things like giving circles and we do some other things as well that allow people to participate without having that $25,000 minimum. But I want to go back to the times of year for giving. We're recording this the week of Thanksgiving. This is a happy common Thanksgiving, time. By yes, the way. happy Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> This is a common time when families might gather and talk about what they're grateful for and how they might share their resources with the community. Um, I've heard of other people using, say, for example, their anniversary or the 4th of July when they know that their family is going to be together gathering for that holiday as a time that they can discuss family business, but also their charitable giving and making that an annual event. And some families have even um, involved their children and grandchildren by asking them to come prepared with a cause or an organization that they want to support. I, I can remember one of the donors that I worked with said that their Girls, when they were in elementary school, said they wanted to help the penguins at the zoo. And that was age appropriate. And it it was is a great community resource. But then there are others that are seeing more sophisticated presentations. Think, you know, high school or college students who are getting really active in the community and might even come with a multimedia presentation of video that they've done and presented it to their (laughs) parents and grandparents. And the grandparents are just blown away by the creativity and the engagement that they're seeing from that next generation. I'm wondering if you two have heard examples like that, how families are seeing giving playing out in their family when they do make time for those conversations. Go ahead, Shannon. Go ahead, lead off. Fantastic. I am fortunate to have had a number of different experiences, and I connected with some colleagues, too, to get some examples from them, because it's always fun to hear, heartwarming, and gives me ideas, and I like to be inspired by what other people do and share those um, to see if it, if it if people are looking for things to do have a, have a number of options to share with them. So like you said, Marie, I, this time of year, people really start thinking about giving to others. You see on the news, I saw people driving through and picking up turkeys. And so that's one thing I think that a lot of families start with is volunteering together. And um, that act of sort of sweat equity labor gets them to really feel like they've accomplished something. Um, and I've known some families who have done either a sort of uh, 
volunteer food shelf experience where they've either packed food or served food or prepped food at um, you know one of the local nonprofits in the Twin Cities. And then afterwards have decided, they asked their family, you know, should we give a grant to this organization? And then they did it and kind of chose something that they specifically learned about in that volunteer experience. And so that kind of, in that it gives them a, a firsthand look at what's going on and they feel connected in a way that you don't feel as much when you send a check. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a reinforcement of that. And I think really Oftentimes, people who volunteer at organizations become really good donors and supporters in the long run. And so, mm-hmm. so that's something that I know that a lot of people mentioned that they said either in their family, parents, when their kids were no longer coming home, they were either off at college or they had young families of their own and not everybody could make it back. Parents would volunteer and do some different things. Um, and that's a good reminder for me. I know that there are uh, people who have done sort of long distance connections where they can't get together. So I have a family that I work with who said that they, you know, everybody had everything that they needed. And at Chris, or at Thanksgiving time, they would kind of have a phone call and talk about what their plans were for Christmas and sort of prep the idea of we're not exchanging gifts, but what we each have to do is choose the organizations that we're going to support financially and sort of write summaries. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a, uh, uh, assignment that they were given with from one of the sort of heads of the family. But what they really did was they they took the opportunity to educate each other and learned more about each other when they all sat down and, um, you know, they weren't able to get together last year because of COVID and some people, you know, still unable to travel and do that because of, mm-hmm. because of being um, worried. And so they were able to connect over the phone and Zoom and see each other and share the organizations that they cared about and why. And um, so they've, they all shared that they felt they were able to learn more about their family members in ways because they didn't necessarily know a story behind why somebody made a gift to a certain organization and um, really felt that it was, it was fun. And, you know, sometimes too, another way to, um, laugh with each other and, you know, say, well, we knew you were going to give to the caring for cats because, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a surprise to anyone, <laughs> but, yes. but just that, but that idea that, you know, some things, you know, in your soul that somebody's going to do that and some things can still surprise you after a time. So, so it's, 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 it's fun to see and to encourage um, others by kind of uh, modeling modeling the behavior. And and I think too, not only, Absolutely. not only older adults saying, I don't need any more anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write a check and tell you about it. It's modeling that for the younger kids, you know, and, and then talking about it, talking why it's important saying, um, I have a, I have a colleague actually who would give her family members that were young, a fake check at Christmas, mm. a blank check, so to speak. And along with that, she gave them a bunch of nonprofits that she thought that they might be interested in. So she did research because that's exactly mm. the kind of person that she is. She did research, gave them a number of different nonprofit organizations and let them choose where their blank check would be sent to. And so they got to be huh. introduced that way and kind of get the idea of like, what, what do you, you know, what can your money do? And, and, you know, I think uh, sometimes people think that the, I, I know it, it kind of really depends. Some people are interested in giving something and kind of just the general support of an organization, or they really want to give for you know, 
I want to support the penguins at the Como Zoo, or I want to right. support animals in general, or mm-hmm. I want to. So, so there's a lot of different things that you can talk about as you, as you're um, encouraging people to do some gifts like that. Yeah, that's a unique spin on the give a gift for them to give. That's a common sure. um, tactic or, that I hear that families use. But having, you know, actually giving them a phys- you know, physical kind of representation as a blank mm-hmm. check and then some ideas is a unique spin on that. I like that. Yeah, that's great. I've had a number of people that said they wanted to make sure they would they would talk to their family members and then recommend grants through their donor advised fund to the nonprofits. And then we included the younger person's name in with the grant. And so then they would get the acknowledgement letter Mm -hmm. from the nonprofit Mm -hmm. organization so they could see that whole sort of thing. They could understand that somebody received the money and was grateful and that it was going to be used for um, something specific. I mean, I actually, there's another family that uh, one of my colleagues worked with where they would actually take their grandkids and they would go almost like site visits to different organizations and meet with the, meet with the, the, um, I'm sure the development officers loved that, you know, just get, once you get sure. them on site, they got them, right? you got them. But, right. but, but, the, but the idea of really immersing them in that experience of what does it mean to find out what people need? We have the ability to um, make some gifts and we can, we can, you know, ask questions and see that the money is going to a place that we really want it to and, and then kind of make some decisions from there. So, so you can, you can get as involved or as, as, backed off as you want, depending on your comfort level. Right. Yeah. That reminds me that um, my son who is 11 is thrilled that he is sponsoring an orangutan at, at the zoo. And he, he talks about it often and we go and visit them. And he says that it, I am, I am sponsoring one of these <laughs> orangutans and he knows which one he is sponsoring. It's pretty interesting, but there are other ways to in, involve families and kids. And in, we we spoke about this, Shannon. You mentioned adopt a family, and, but you and your mom do something similar but a little unique. Can you share about that? Yes, we do an adopt a family, and um, for us, we we adopt a senior through a local nonprofit organization, and um, I think that both felt connected to the idea of adopting a senior. Now my mom sort of laughs. So she's like, that's, I'm adopting somebody that's my own age. But I think for my mom, it really strikes her as I am so fortunate. I have, you know, my husband, I have your dad, I have you, I have your husband, you know, we have our small little family unit and we're together and we get to celebrate holidays and we, we have um, the ability to buy food that we want or need and, gifts for each other to show that we care in that sort of kind of way of exchanging small gifts. Um, but, but being able to do that for somebody that might be totally alone, totally isolated on a holiday and um, signing up and getting their list of requests. And one year it was potting soil and um, some, you know, hand lotion stamps um, and my mom, so my mom now slips stamps in for everybody. Sorry, anyone who gets adopted by us, yeah. you're getting some stamps if you want them or not. But, but, you know, things like that, because those are all things that are um, 
we wanted to we wanted to do something and we felt like we could do something and, and make somebody maybe feel special like we try to make each other feel and so without them ever knowing who we are we don't we don't that's you know the idea that we we hope that we're really making um, somebody feel like that there are people that care about them out there so that's been a it's been a wonderful sort of um selfishly it's, i look forward to it every year i'm so excited i'm probably one of the first people that signs up for that um, and, and and to be able to do that with my mom as a as a way to have fun and spend time with her and then do that together so and, and i think there are a lot of other people that do certain things like that where there's there are um, i know the mall of america over the years has had different trees you could pick items off of there that were um requested by people in some of their different programs there's a different homeless shelter um, kind of, you know, they're always looking for new socks and underwear and things like that, that people could really, could really use. And I think that um, that's a really good way to encourage kids um, from a young age about buying something for somebody else. So either taking a little bit of their own money or allocating a, a little resource that of your own and saying, you know, you each have $10, you can, you know, how can you buy something? What do you want to buy to give somebody else? And the idea of doing for someone else um, and giving to somebody else and, you know, and depending on your philosophy, you know, I know some families will say like, we're going to go without something that we might want so that somebody else can have something. And and in talking about that, like, how do you, how does it feel when you, when, you know, we normally have pizza on Friday, but we're not going to have pizza today. We're going to take that money and we're going to use it to buy something for someone else that doesn't get to get pizza. That's, that's a big deal for them. And, and kind of talking through that and, and, and giving those learning opportunities and, you know, and that's how it starts and that's how it can kind of expand and become something that is um, able to support the nonprofits in our community with the gifts from individuals and families that they wouldn't be able to uh, function without. It becomes a part of their family's story and their traditions and passing link, passing along their values in a way that they can, they can repeat each year. And then, you know, tell, tell the stories like you're telling them with the one about your mom, that you you can share that with others so they can say, you know, I could, I could do that too. It, It sometimes feels daunting if you don't quite know how to get started or get involved, but when you hear ideas, that do seem really doable. Um, it makes it easier. And I hope that that's what we're doing mm-hmm. here with the podcast today is giving some really actionable ideas to our colleagues in this profession that they can pass along to the donors and their own families in their lives. Yeah. People have done like kind of a, the in lieu of gifts thing. I know we've seen that before. I think at people stopped doing wedding favors and decided that they were going to do a, a donation to a different organization and, you know, allowed their guests to maybe make a choice of which sort of organization they wanted their, their mm-hmm. money allocated to go to. And I think that sharing that opportunity, I mean, the, the organization that my mom and I do the adopt a senior through, I learned about from a friend who posted it on Facebook said that she always did it every year. And I was like, I'd never heard of them. And so I Googled them and there you go. And, you know, seven years later, we've been doing it every year. And so I think that there are so many great organizations doing work out there that um, might hit you in that spot where you want to become connected to them and um, really be able to to do that and, and, and open up the opportunity. They never would have 
been able, you know, how would they have known to find me? <laughs> I hardly sure. knew to find them and that's my job. So, <laughs> so it's, right. it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Right. Another giving tradition that I thought about when we were preparing for this was that on my birthday every year when I was growing up and I was a little kid, my grandma took me shopping for my birthday gift. I think mostly because she did did not care for shopping, but she did care for spending time with her grandchildren. So she took me shopping and I chose something for myself and then something for another child who maybe wasn't going to be getting a birthday gift. And so that is just such a simple, repeatable, you know, tradition that sure, any yeah. family could institute at any time. It doesn't have to be around holidays, but I, I do like the idea of doing it around m- memorable dates, memorable to your family, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, so that you you do it, you know, it doesn't fall off the agenda. It's something you look forward to. It's fun. And you know that you're going to do it every year. No, I think that that's a fantastic idea. And that's something that I've done off and on and have heard of other people doing as well, where the idea of taking your kids, buying, you know, if you're buying, you're going to a birthday party, sometimes, you know, how many Kids have so many things these days. I mean, eh, eh, these days now I sound real curmudgeonly back in my day. Yeah, but I mean, but I I was an only child. I had far too many of everything. And it really would have been something. My parents did all kinds of great things, but we didn't do that. We, we didn't do a, you know, instead of if you're having a birthday party, maybe somebody brings a can of food. Um, you're having a birthday party, somebody brings uh, a gift for um, somebody else. You know, there's the idea of, backpacks and all those different kinds of things where kids might not have um, access to, books, to things. Books for classrooms. Yep. Yeah, it, right. And, and, each, and you, can, you can think about what your own little person's unique interests are. And it could be, yeah, it could be books. It could be whatever. I can't keep track of games that kids are interested in or, you know, sports. Sure. All that kind of stuff. And um you, know, you get one for them and then they get to pick out one for somebody else or, um, you know, kind of many different options of how to do that. But the idea of giving something to somebody else that you'd want yourself so that you could see how excited and, and share that excitement. I think this has been a great discussion. We've given people a lot of ideas. Hopefully it will spark some conversation and as we're going into the holiday season here, this would be the perfect time for families to have these conversations about how they might incorporate a family giving tradition and what tools they might use to facilitate that giving. So I want to thank you, Shannon, for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. I know I'll be driving in my car sometime and say, I wish I would have said this, but it's, it's always a good place. It's better to start somewhere and then talk to your friends, talk to other people and get, get the ideas. It's a good question. You could ask your friends, what did, you know, did you have any traditions when you were growing up that you That'd loved? be a great question. That'd be a right. great question go. to ask. Absolutely. Great little icebreaker and, right. and then go from there. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Legacy of Generosity podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. 
For show notes and access to other free educational content, visit leavealegacymn.org and click Resource Library. Consider joining us as a member of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association for Networking and Comprehensive Education. And connect with us on LinkedIn to share your feedback. Make it a great day. Thank you.